This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Heim. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. We've got another Boston Marathon episode series today. This is episode 382, and my guest is Charlotte Perdue. Charlotte runs for the UK, and she just placed ninth at the Boston Marathon, running a time of 225.26 at the race. Charlotte was on this podcast in July of 2019, at episode 190, if you want to go back and hear a little bit more about her backstory. But in 2021, at the London Marathon, she ran a personal best time of 223.26, which put her at the third fastest all-time British marathoner. She was looking strong and teed up to be selected for the Olympic team in Tokyo and was not selected last year. And so um, a big disappointment for her in her career. And she tells us all about that experience and, and what it means for her now to make an Olympic team, to not make an Olympic team, and what her career really means to her beyond making an Olympic team. This is not the first time um, she's had a disappointment around the Olympics. So that's something we had talked about actually in my first episode with her. Uh, back in July of 2019. So if you want to listen to that first, maybe do that. But this is more up-to-date information on what's going on in her life now. We do talk about the race at Boston a little bit and how that played out for her. And then what's next? It was super fun to catch up with her. I hope you enjoy learning a little bit about Charlotte in this episode. This episode of the podcast is supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker was created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. And Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. This is such a valuable tool if you are training for a marathon or any race where you want to do really well. And the way I see it is we spend so much time and energy and resources on big goals with running that we might as well make sure that our body is optimized. You heard me talking about this in my episode with Adrian Hazlitt maybe, but a lot of people struggle with iron. I know that's a big thing for me. And so that is one area that Inside Tracker checks. Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized performance platform like no other. All right, friends, go check out Inside Tracker. I'm doing it. I'm getting my blood drawn here in just like a week. I need. I have the order. I just need to go do it. You all can go to insidetracker.com slash another and for 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store, uh, use the code another and this is for a limited time. Get that done before you start training for your fall races. See where you're at. Insidetracker.com slash another and code another for 20% off the entire store for a limited time. All right, friends, leave us a rating and review. If you enjoy the podcast, please, I would appreciate that. And uh, you can do that on iTunes or Spotify. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Charlotte. Well, today on I'll Have Another, we have Charlotte Purdue returning to the show. Welcome back, Charlotte. Hey, thanks. How are you feeling post-Boston? Yeah, um, my legs are feeling good again now, but uh, I, I did pick up a cold, um, unfortunately, on, well, I actually had it before the race, um, but luckily it stayed kind of mild until after the race, and then, yeah, literally the day after, I pretty much got, yeah, <laughs> sick, so uh, just fighting off that at the moment, but apart from that, I'm all good. <laughs> did you, like, when you were feeling sick before the race, like, were you anxious, like, oh no, is this going to blow up my race? Uh, yeah, I was actually because I have luckily not got sick for a long time um, with any cold or anything. And the whole build up, I was pretty lucky uh, not to be sick. And then London Marathon last year, I managed to avoid all the sickness. And then, yeah, I woke up on the Wednesday before the race um, the following Monday and I just had a really bad sore throat. And then that just went into like a head cold kind of thing. It wasn't terrible, but it was definitely something. And every day I was just hoping it wasn't going to get worse. And then, yeah, on Monday, I felt fine on Monday. I mean, I woke up and I did still have the cold, but I just put it to the back of my mind. 
and I think you're just kind of on autopilot trying to get through the race um and then yeah like I said after the race I think it just yeah took over the cold came (laughs) the body was done the body had worked very hard yeah (laughs) did you let on at all to anybody just like I mean I know you guys were taking COVID tests and stuff so you knew that that you didn't have COVID but like did you let on to anybody because you know you want to get at the start line like everybody thinking you're in like you know good condition and like you're gonna be tough out there yeah no I didn't tell anyone um I didn't even tell my coach because I didn't want him to think that it was something um like the week before the race uh, I told my partner Adam um that I had a cold and he obviously knew um that I had it and then after the race actually one of my coaches that was in Boston um Collis he said to me uh oh by the way I knew you had a cold I could tell <laughs> <laughs> I was like all oh, right yeah it's pretty obvious you know if someone does have a cold but um we were going on like a course preview a couple of days before in the taxi and he was like you were pretty sick then because I was just blowing my nose like all the time <laughs> and he was like yeah I didn't want to say anything because I was thinking you haven't told me about it so I'm not going to bring it up um but he was like, obviously, did that affect you in the race? And I was like, no, I don't think it did. I mean, obviously, I'm not 100% if I've got anything, really. But I wouldn't say it affected me in the race. I think I just kind of got the job done. But yeah. I think that's hilarious that you guys just didn't talk about it. Just like <laughs> yeah. acted like it wasn't there. Yeah, I think like for me, I was just so relieved it wasn't COVID. Because yeah. like I said, you, I had like some symptoms of COVID and you just never know. Um, so when I got there and then obviously they were doing PCR tests every single day on the first one, I was like, okay, this is it. This is uh four months worth of work. And mm. if I can't race, I can't race. Um, but yeah, luckily that, well, they never told me the results. So at Boston marathon obviously knew the results, but we never got notified of them. So every day I was just in my room thinking like, okay, Boston marathon organizers haven't told me I'm not allowed to run today. <laughs> Um, so yeah, every day I was just praying that they weren't going to knock on the door and be yeah. like, oh, by the way, by the way, <laughs> you've got COVID. Oh my gosh. Well, you had a stellar race, ninth place. What were your expectations going into the race? Thanks. Um, yeah, so I kind of wanted to run it like a championship race and not, uh, focus on the time or anything. Um, so yeah, my aim was just to finish as high as up as I could. And I knew there was obviously a load of good Africans in the race. I think I was ranked like 13th based on time. But yeah, I didn't really know what to expect. I just wanted to, yeah, try and finish up as high up as I could in the race. I said to my partner, Adam, actually before, um, I hope the Africans don't go off too hard too early. Because if I end up running by myself, that will be my worst nightmare. And that's pretty much what happened. Oh, you (laughs) did. We ran together for like 5k uh, with the Africans and a massive group of us, pretty much the whole field was together for 5k. And then they dropped like a 458 mile. Uh. Uh, and that broke everyone up. And Molly uh, went with that. And my coach had told me before the race, don't let any Americans get in front of you. So in my head, I was looking at all the Africans and I was like, okay. And then I saw Molly and I was like, oh, I can't let Molly get in front of me. So I had to try and uh, close the gap. But yeah, after that 4.58 mile, my legs were not used to running that fast after, yeah, like four miles into a marathon. So 4.58. Uh, yeah, that's what they ran. I don't know. What I, I don't think I ran that. But I, wow. tried, I tried to close the gap and then there was literally the African athletes and then Molly and then myself. And then we were running together for quite a bit. And I caught up to Molly about, yeah, mile 12 because there was a tiny little gap between us. Um, and I think I went past her about 12 miles. And then after that, I was just alone the whole way until right before the end when I caught um, an Ethiopian woman. I can't remember her name, um, but I overtook her with, yeah, like 50 meters to go. And then she sprinted past me again mm. just before the line. So it was an interesting race. I've never run a marathon like completely alone like that before, um, because if I think back to London Marathon I did have some time alone but I also had a pacemaker so I knew like what pace I was running until halfway whereas this this time I had no idea what pace we were on I didn't look at my watch and 
yeah, I was obviously just completely alone, like trying to not slow down. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, now that you mention it, I do because I watched on TV. I do remember you seeing seeing you and Molly, the only two hanging with the Africans out there. And I wondered what was going on in your head. Um, and when your coach said, don't let any of the Americans ahead of you, did you have in your mind if any, but if anyone's going to be up there, it's going to be Molly? Yeah, I did think um, that she would definitely go with the pace. I just didn't know that it was going to be that early on that we broke up the field. I thought that maybe it would be more gradual or some more um, like the Canadian athletes I thought might go. Oh, uh, the Yeah. Um, so I thought maybe we'd run together a bit. There'd be more of us running together. But it was more, yeah, it was a quick, it was really quick how everyone broke up. It was literally like we got to the 5K split and then suddenly one of them just surged and everyone just surged. And then I looked up and I was like, whoa, we're like not running together anymore. And that was really, yeah, it happens really fast. So I don't think there was much time to think. I just had to kind of decide, do I hang back or do I go? And I saw Molly ahead and I was like, if she's going, I'm going. Mm. So I just went with it. And then, yeah, that's kind of what happened. And then I was alone. I didn't want to look behind and see if there was a group behind me. But in my mind, I thought there's a big group behind me. But when we were actually finished the race in drug testing, I spoke to Nell. Mm. And uh, she she told me that there was no group behind me, that everyone was just running separately. And I also spoke to Melindy in drug testing. And she told me the same. She was like, no, everyone was just running alone behind you as well. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm glad I did go with the pace because, yeah, I would have been running alone probably if I'd have hung back anyway. Yeah. Gosh, that's got to be such a hard moment, like a hard decision to make. Like, this is too hot for me. Like, this isn't going to work, but like, I don't want to be alone. How do you work through that? Yeah, I literally thought like this pace, I cannot keep up for 26 miles. And also, yeah, like it was pretty much my half marathon pace that we were running for that second 5k and I was thinking like I'm gonna fatigue really fast now because I knew the hills were coming up as well um and I knew that I couldn't maintain that pace but I kind of just thought well I'm doing this so I just kind of like went with it and then yeah I did I didn't really think too much to be honest um when I got to 12 miles I actually looked at the mile split um where we were and I thought, I'm really tired now. Like, mm. I, I wish this 12 mile said 20 miles because yeah. that's literally how I felt. I was so tired. And I was just in my mind thinking, geez, this is going to be a long run to the finish. And um, yeah, to be honest, like it was long, but the crowds were so good and there were so many things to look at. And I was just basically just grinding it out to the end. But it was definitely the hardest way I've ever run a marathon in my life. Um, I've never... I usually like to run even splits um, and try to pick it up towards the end. But this was like so up and down. It was like slow and then fast and then slow and then hills. And then it was just like, yeah, it definitely was the hardest marathon that I've ever run in terms of that. Yeah, your first Boston. Yeah. What did you think of the Newton Hills? Were they what you expected? <laughs> um, They were hard, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did go in a car to the, around the course um, two days before and we kind of started at the bottom of the Newton Hills, but we didn't do the bit before. You know, there's like some up and downs before that part. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously I didn't really think about those. I just kind of ha had in my mind these hills are the only hills in the race. But obviously there's so many ups and downs before that you even get to those hills. Um, so that was harder than I expected. But when I got to the hills, I... I was glad that I did look at them before because, yeah, they were probably as bad as I thought they were going to be. <laughs> um, they were definitely hard for sure. Um, I'm used to running like flat marathons. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, did you, when you were coming down Boylston, did you know you were in top 10? Uh, people were shouting at me like, you're in ninth. Um, so I did think like, oh, maybe I'm in the top 10. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, I couldn't see really where I was in the race at all except people were shouting um and then obviously I saw that Ethiopian woman in front for like the whole last two miles mm. and I was just trying to catch her and then when I actually caught her I think with like 800 meters to go I went past her with like 500 meters to go and I was like oh I think I might be an eighth now and then yeah she sprinted past Came me again back. <laughs> yeah when you were planning for this race, like I know you wanted to run a championship style and place as high as possible. Are you happy with ninth? Is that feel good to you? Yeah, I think um, obviously I always want to come like as high as up as I can. 
So I kind of obviously wish I was higher, but <laughs> I think based on my time and everything and the athletes that were ahead of me are all like really far. They're like way faster than me anyway. They've got, I think, I, yeah, three minutes faster than me. So I think it is a good run. Um, yeah, I am happy. <laughs> I always want to be higher, but I think it was a good run. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they ran really, the leaders ran really fast for Boston. It was pretty crazy to see what they were throwing down. Yeah, and I think back, and I don't, I just don't think there's anything else I could have done to run any better than I did, um, because there's no way I could have closed that gap any faster. Like, my legs were honestly trashed by the time I got to 12 miles, so I'm just proud that I was able to carry on from 12 miles to 26, because I've never felt like that at mile 12 before. I've never been that tired. Um, I usually feel obviously like pretty fresh till I get to about 30k and then I start to feel tired but this time it was like a slog from 12 miles onwards so I think it was good based on that and then even when I saw my time to be honest I was like surprised that I ran that fast because I uh, yeah I had no idea what time I was on for and then to run yeah like 225 I was like oh that's pretty decent time. (laughs) Yeah it seems like you didn't lose all that much in the second half. No, I think I lost like two minutes, which obviously is a lot. But then the hills, I don't know how much that would usually be. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, at, at London Marathon, I've always run like even splits. Um, so I'm used to just running marathons that way. Um, all my training, I try to run like even pace and even splits. So to run it this way was, yeah, definitely a different way. But I think championships can go like that too. So it was definitely a good experience to run Boston um, before the world champs later in the year. Yeah, two minutes probably does seem like a whole lot to you then, yeah. Uh, But 225, 225, 26, I mean, that's two minutes off your personal best on a much flatter course and a hometown kind of course. So it has to feel pretty decent. Yeah, it definitely does. It was my second fastest time that I've run. So yeah, I am happy with the time. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Okay, let's talk about leading up to the race. You've had kind of like a crazy few years. And, you know, when we first talked, must have been 2020. I think you had placed... Yeah, I think it was 2019 that we last talked. Yeah. Okay, was yeah, 2019. You had just placed 10th at London. You'd ran a personal best, became, I think, the third fastest at that point. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, yeah. Yeah, marathoner in the UK at that point. And um I remember in that conversation we talked about like how there was a spot that was left open on the team for the Olympics in twenty sixteen for um and you you know, it was like very disappointing. And then this whole issue with 2020, 2021, you not being selected to the team, you've had to like work through a ton of ups and downs and emotions. So I'm curious how did you pick yourself back up from that? Yeah, so 2020 obviously wasn't um, in part of my plan. I obviously wanted to make the Olympics. Um, but I kind of just, yeah, after I wasn't selected, it was good to have like another aim. And London Marathon obviously being in October like was perfect for me really because it meant that I could just forget about not qualifying for the Olympics and like focus fully on that. And I think if I didn't have that London Marathon at the time, that would have made it really really tough but having that focus was something that I could work towards um so yeah honestly like that London marathon in 2021 was like the thing that helped me get through that time oh I'm sure yeah that's always helpful to have something to like focus your attention and efforts on um can you explain to everybody because I know most of our listeners are American um, we yeah. do have some UK listeners, Canadian listeners, so um, and people in other parts of the world as well. But the systems for making the Olympic team are different um, yeah. in different countries. And so I know you were unable to do the trial run because you were injured. But in the UK, it doesn't look like it does here in America. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so our um, policy was basically, yeah, they, were, they put on a trial race, but it was only top two across the line that were guaranteed selection if they had the time. Um, so on the day of the trials, uh, one girl crossed the line, uh, Steph Davis, she won and she had the time, um, the Olympic time. So she was automatic qualifier, whereas the girl in second and the girl in third, they both didn't have the time. So even though they were second and third in the trial, they didn't have the qualifying time. So they weren't automatically selected. 
So there was two spots left um, open and there were three of us that actually missed the trials on medical exemptions. Uh, I guess we were all injured or um, something. So we, yeah, there was three of us left at home and out of the three of the people left at home who couldn't run, I was um, second fastest. Uh, so I kind of thought I was in a good position um, being second fastest based on time. And yeah, the, the fact that there were three of us um, that couldn't run. And then, yeah, I just got a phone call saying that they'd selected the other two girls ahead of me. And one of them was obviously a minute and a half slower than what I had run. Um, and they just said it was on medical grounds and that I was too injury prone, basically. And that's mm. why I was selected. Um, and yeah, obviously, I was gutted by that because we were all missing the trials due to medical exemptions. So to say one person's more injury prone than another, like it just didn't really make sense to me. But Obviously, that was their choice. Um, so they put me as, yeah, a reserve um, alternate on the team. And then, yeah, that was it. I couldn't, I did appeal, but it was already too late. They'd already announced the team and um, that was it, really. So as the alternate, do you, you still go to Tokyo and like in case anything happens? No, they basically told me that because the other two girls that were selected were also um, on medical exemptions. I'm guessing they were injured that they had to do like a fitness test mm. um, in like June time. So they said if one of them can't do the fitness test in June, that I should get ready as if I'm going to run the Olympics just in case. Uh, but I knew in my mind that like if you're selected for the Olympics, you're going to try and do anything that you can to get past that fitness test. So I kind of just forgot about being an alternate, to be honest. I was just thinking like, oh, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. Um, and then obviously the other two girls did pass the fitness test. I don't know what it was, but they passed it. So um, I didn't get to go. Um, yeah. So you run 2021, you run London. You have yeah. a big, big PB, 223.26, which is yeah. which is huge. Um, did that feel like, okay, this was all worth it? How did that feel for you? Yeah, that did actually feel really good um, just because I knew that I was capable of running a really good performance and I felt like British Athletics at the time didn't kind of back me because mm. they obviously thought I was one, two injury prone to make the team and I just felt like they kind of thought that I wasn't going to do anything any good that for 2021 or maybe ever, I don't know. So to come back and prove to everyone that I was still like a good runner and that I could still run yeah good times and yeah I was really happy with the way that the, that year uh, turned out to be honest I think even if I look back now I think um, it was almost better for me than making the Olympics because I mean I don't know how I would have done if I had run the Olympics but it was obviously a couple of months earlier so I would have been a couple of months earlier in my preparation I don't know how fit I would have been obviously it would have been a great honor to run for a GB in the Olympics but I think the way everything turned out was yeah, like it was meant to be, really. And, you know, this is a shorter cycle since the Olympics were 2021, ran in 2021. So really, there's just two more years. Yeah. That's wild to think about. Yeah, it is crazy. And uh, although, like, now, because I've obviously been so close to, like, three Olympics now, missed out oh every time, God. I've just kind of got to the point now where I, I don't really mind if I don't make the Olympics. <laughs> Like, honestly, I say that and I, it sounds crazy to say, but I think my career like has been so good so far and I haven't made the Olympics and I'm really happy if I had to retire tomorrow, like with mm. what I've already done. So I think even if I don't make the next Olympics, but I continue to maybe come top 10 in marathon majors, like that would still be good for me um, to do. So I've definitely put the Olympics on not as big a pedestal as I used to I used to think it was like the be all and end all like I have to make the Olympics to be a good athlete but now I kind of think there are other things that you can do to yeah be a good athlete like there's world championships there's so many marathon majors every year to try and place as high up as you can so there's definitely more things especially for a marathon runner I think than just the Olympics but Obviously, I will try my hardest to make the team um, in two years' time. But, yeah, I kind of think my mindset has changed a little bit now. It's really refreshing. I've talked to other athletes have who have similar sentiments. I, I think that 
it seems like at the beginning of a running career and probably other sports too, people think like that. Like I want to be an Olympian and then (laughs) you have all these other experiences and situations and you also meet all these other amazing athletes that haven't made Olympic teams and realize like that's not the end all be all. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, yeah, until last year I would have wanted to make, well, I would have said this, wouldn't have said the same, but now I think, Mm. yeah, definitely changed my mindset a lot. All right, friends, we have a sponsor of the podcast that I'm really excited about because I have been wearing their apparel for years. It's Viore, okay? I found Viore performance joggers at Athletic Annex, a specialty run store in Indy that I go to. Um, I found their performance joggers about four years ago, and I don't wear any other pants basically ever. So... <laughs> Uh, really excited that they are supporting the podcast and can't say enough great things about their apparel, how comfortable it is, how cute it is. And it's simple. It's versatile. Like you can go out and run errands and do whatever, but you can also work out in this apparel. You can run, you can do yoga, you can swim, you can lift weights, but you can also, you know, go to Target. So uh, super cute. If I was going to start anywhere with Viore, I would hands down start with the performance joggers. I have three pair. I have gray, black, and this like um, greenish color. They are designed to look great in everyday life and also perfect to work out in. Uh, actually, though, the most recent order I just put in, uh, you, if you look at my Instagram, lindsayhine626, I'm wearing this like orange top and spandex bottom. That is my new Viore that I love. Super cute. But I also uh, just ordered the energy top in white and the halo crop funnel neck sweatshirt. Thinking I'm cool wearing uh, cropped things at 38, you know. Uh, But anyway, I'm excited that I have a 20% off deal for you. So when you go to viore.com slash another, that will automatically save you 20% off at checkout. And not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but you can also enjoy free shipping on the U.S. for orders over $75 and free returns. So go to Viori, that's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash another and discover the amazingness of Viori. All right, back to my conversation with Charlotte. So you get a run in the world championships this yep. Uh, this summer. So tell us how you're feeling about that. And like, what does that look like? Because Boston, you know, the Boston to that isn't super far, you know, usually do like spring and fall marathon. So this is kind of close. Yeah, it is close. I obviously knew about that there was going to be that close before I decided to do Boston. Um, But I think it's, well, it was 12 weeks on Monday to the world champs. And obviously I've had yeah, I've had like a big build up for Boston. I I pretty much started training for it in like November time. Um, so I've had like a massive block of training now. And obviously before that, I'd done London Marathon. So that was another big block of training. So I feel like I don't need to do a massive block of training for the world champs. I just I'll obviously get over this sickness and um, start probably properly back training next week. Um, and then I think we'll do like a shorter, shorter build up um not like less miles or anything but just less like marathon sessions and stuff I don't need to do like two and a half hour long runs every single weekend or something like that just yeah kind of like a bit of a shorter build up so that I don't yeah get too fatigued but I can just top up the training that I've already done um so I think that that will be the yeah the approach that we'll take for this world champs and so 2021, that was your first marathon in like two years. Yeah, because I was injured before. And then obviously coronavirus in 2020 meant that London Marathon was cancelled. So that, yeah, w- with the injury as well, um, for the 2021 London Marathon, I, we actually did like a reduced build up because okay. my coach didn't want me to get injured again. He just really wanted me to run a marathon. So we, we I did a lot of cross training for that one. Um, so I only ran once a day and I cross trained instead of second runs and yeah I'd say compared to the Boston build-up I did a lot less mileage for London Marathon than I did for Boston so 
uh yeah it was good to obviously run as as I did and then now to have Boston I've kind of had two different approaches one where I've ran and cross trained and one where I've done like a lot of mileage so now for world champs I think I'll do like a combination of the two um because I don't honestly know like which one I preferred I think like I responded really well to less mileage and cross training um obviously I ran 223 so I can't really fault it um but then at Boston I also felt super strong um running so I don't know I think both approaches seem to work I just basically gotta not get injured that's the main aim yeah which process did you enjoy more I don't know either because I obviously don't love cross training I yeah love for runs but then sometimes after I've done like a really hard workout in the morning I honestly hate second runs like they just feel you just feel terrible mm-hmm. <laughs> I just don't enjoy feeling terrible when I run and sometimes the cross training would give me like 24 hours off running. Mm. Um, and although I didn't enjoy cross training, it was kind of like the next day I woke up and my legs did feel a bit better. Um, but then, yeah, I don't know, really. I think obviously doing second runs on tired legs is good um, to get your legs used to the pounding and the miles and stuff. Um, extra miles, obviously. Yes, yeah, so I don't know. I think I can see both. So I think that's why a combination of the two would be good. Yeah. <laughs> were you like in the pool on the bike? Were those the two ma- main forms of cross training? Uh, the bike or the cross trainer, the uh, elliptical. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, sorry. I, we call it a cross trainer. <laughs> but yeah, um, either or really. I would just decide on the day, like if I did a bike or an elliptical. But basically, I do it every day um, instead of a second run, uh, except on long run days, I wouldn't do a second training. <laughs> Um, and your coach, are you still being coached by Nick? Is it Nick Bordeaux? Yep. Um, yeah, Nick. And uh, we also have like an assistant coach now called Collis Birmingham. Um, so he's helping out with the group. And he was actually with me um, the whole time from uh, New York half to Boston um, training. So that was really handy to have him in America, mm. uh, like overseeing training really and making sure like I wasn't doing too much and that everything was going well. So yeah, that was great to have him as well. Are you so from New York, which Charlotte got sixth place in New York? Yeah. Did you stay in the States from New York to Boston? That I know it was yeah, not super we, long. Yeah, we stayed in um, Philadelphia. Okay. Um, that seems random. Yeah, so, yeah everyone says that when we, stay, <laughs> we stayed in Philadelphia. It's so random. Um, yeah, basically, my. Um, so my coach's wife, Sonia, she went to Villanova. Okay. Um, and so she knew the area like really well. And we wanted somewhere to stay that wasn't too far away from Boston because I originally thought going to Flagstaff would be a good idea. Um, but I've never been to that high altitude before mm. and I've never been to Flagstaff before. And obviously it's on the other side of the country. And my coach really wanted me to stay on the same time zone um, because I traveled around so much. I'd been in Australia before and Japan as well so he wanted me to kind of stay in one place um and then yeah his uh his wife Sonia said suggested why don't we go to uh Philadelphia because she knew the area was good for running and she said yeah it's quite close to Boston and close to New York so we were like yeah let's go there so myself and Collis and one of my other training partners Brett he ran New York as well um he came just for a couple of weeks of training there Um, so yeah, we based ourselves there and it was actually really good for running. Um, there was, uh, like loads of parks and it was quite hilly as well. So Mm -hmm. I think that's why, um, she said it would be good for running as well. So yeah, there was a lot of hills. Oh, I bet. Um, so I think I was thinking you went to Tokyo because you said you went to Japan and I had seen that you were in Japan. So I was like, so did she go to Tokyo? So what were you doing in Japan? Yeah. So, um, I went to pace a marathon. So Nagoya Women's Marathon, um, two of my training partners were running there. Um, okay. Diver and uh, Eloise Welling. So they were both racing the marathon. And my coach said that the race organizers were looking for a pacemaker um, for the elite women. So, yeah, I was like, oh, I might as well do it. Um, Get a good run in. Yeah, exactly. Because the organizers wanted me to go to 30K um so around 18 miles and they wanted me to run at 220 marathon pace yeah so I obviously (laughs) couldn't really go any further than well I mean I hope I could go to the end but I was like okay well in 
in mid marathon training that would be like a hard workout so to go to 18 miles at 220 pace so I actually yeah went there to pace pace that so that was really fun and a good training run and then straight from there I flew to New York and the week after was the New York half so that was actually a really quick turnaround um and I did feel a little bit tired at New York half even though I didn't want to admit it at the time (laughs) I was like oh I'll be fine it's a it's a week to recover but it was quite quick and with all the travel as well like I was yeah I was definitely I think three days before the race in New York I was waking up at like 4 a.m um, just because the jet lag and I was just standing outside Starbucks in New York, like waiting for it to open to get coffee. <laughs> um, that is such a monster workout, 18 yeah. miles at 220 marathon pace. How did that feel? Like, did you feel strong and confident during that? Yeah, so I started off at uh, 220 pace. And then so my training partner, Sinead, she wanted to go with the lead group. And when we got to yeah, maybe about 10 miles in, I could sense that she was like struggling a little bit. So um, the Africans had like pushed on. Um, So my job was basically to run at 220 pace. And if the Africans wanted faster, they would just run by themselves. And I had to stay at 220 pace. Um, And Sinead was running with me at 220 pace. And yeah, she was um, kind of struggling a little bit. So I turned to her and I said, do you want to slow down to 222 marathon pace? And she said, yeah, that would be great. So I slowed down to 222 marathon pace once I got to 10 miles and then, yeah, kept at that. So I did, um, I ran like 220, yeah, 222 marathon pace. Uh, when I got to 30K, I actually felt pretty good. Like, oh, I could keep going, going now. But obviously I wasn't allowed. <laughs> had some goal, other goals in mind. Yeah, and I had New York the next week. So I was kind of thinking, okay, I need to stop now. But yeah, I felt good. Um, it was good to practice taking drinks as well. Um it's just hard when you're pacemaker because you're obviously at the front, so you can't kind of shelter behind anyone. So there was parts where it was windy and there was just a big group of like Africans sitting behind me. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. Um, it was good to practice running at that pace anyway. Was that the first time you've been a pacemaker? Um, no. So I actually did the same job in uh, 2020 with Sinead. Okay. Um so Sinead actually paced with me in 2020 and we both ran at the front together at 220 marathon pace. But when I did it that time, I only lasted until uh, 25K. Um, so just past halfway because I was tired and I couldn't keep going. Um, but Sinead carried on to 30K. So this time to go to 30 and to feel like, oh, that was like I could carry on was, yeah, encouraging. Yeah, that's awesome. So Sinead, what does training look like with her? You say she's your training partner. I know she's based out of Australia. You go to Australia sometimes. So how yeah. often do you actually train together? Yeah, so I try to go to Australia every like December and stay there till kind of March. Okay. Um, and then if, so say for example, London Marathon, Sinead has done a couple of times. She'll come over to the UK and train with me. Or um, if there's a championships in the summer, we might meet up together in uh, somewhere at altitude like Font Rameau or St. Moritz or something. Um, so we do train together quite a lot. And then obviously when I'm in um, Australia, we do all our training together. Um, so yeah, she's a great training partner to have. Um, and there's obviously other people in the group as well when I'm in Australia um, that I run with. So I went over there on the 24th of December um, and I stayed until we went to Japan. So I was there for ages. And then from there through <laughs> Um, America. So I literally got home last week after four months away. Are you that's so happy? Time. <laughs> yeah, that's the longest time I've ever been away. I didn't, in my mind, when I packed in December, I didn't know I was going to be away that long. But then everything just worked out better if I didn't go home in between. So I kind of, yeah, I just had to like top up my suitcase with getting my partner Adam to send over like more stuff for me. Because when I packed for Australia, I didn't obviously think that I'd be going to Japan and Japan's freezing compared to Australia Mm. so I was like okay I'm gonna need gloves and hat and stuff and then yeah had like this massive suitcase with me last week and had to pay for extra baggage uh like so many times (laughs) um have you not seen your partner in four months no so he actually did come to Philadelphia okay so I didn't see him for three months wow Um, yeah, we are kind of used to it because we have done it before. But yeah, so I didn't see him um, December, January, February. And then he flew to Philadelphia to 
um do the last part of that training and he came to Boston with me so okay. that was that was good but he um he was training for his own marathon um debut that he did in February so he couldn't come over to Australia otherwise he would have as well <laughs> and what was his marathon debut and how did it go yeah, it went well. He did um, Seville Marathon and he ran 2.15. So okay. for a, a first one, it was pretty good. <laughs> I didn't realize, for some reason, I didn't realize that your partner was trained at such a high level as well. Yeah, no, he's a good athlete. Yeah, he was actually meant to run the um, the 5K in Boston, but uh, he unfortunately got a niggle in his leg. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't do it, but trying to persuade him to do the marathon in Boston one day. <laughs> oh, like, that no, would be so, so fun. Now. After he saw me finishing, he was like, oh, that looks hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what does your coaching business look like now, too? Like, you keep pretty busy. Yeah, really busy. Um, It is actually going really well, thanks. Yeah, we've got a lot of athletes and um, we've taken on more coaches. Um, So it's really exciting how, yeah, how it's grown so fast. And even, like, when we were in Boston, we had so many athletes running from around the world and, um, Adam met them the day before the race and unfortunately I couldn't go because I had to do some media stuff but yeah it was really cool to see like how many of them were running Boston and yeah it's going it's going really well. How do you manage that like I'm you know competing on a world stage and this is a really big de- deal in my own personal running career but like I'm also coaching athletes that are here. Um, honestly like Adam my partner does a lot of <laughs> the work for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I'm involved as well, but he takes on like a lot of, a lot of it. And, but it is really cool from, from my point of view, like waking up in the morning and knowing, Mm. um, that other athletes that we help are running as well. Um, it, it just kind of makes it more, takes the pressure off because I kind of think, well, you know, they're also just as nervous as I am. It's the same thing. Like, obviously I'm standing on the start line trying to run a time or trying to finish as high up in the race but I'm still like feeling the same kind of emotions that they're feeling like standing on the start line and then when I finish the race and hear how they've done it's really cool to know like oh most of them got a PB actually at Boston and I was thinking how did you run a PB (laughs) Um, but yeah no it's uh it is really fun to do. Um, So when do you come back to the states for world championships? Yeah, um, we still are working on what the exact plan is going to be. Uh, but I think I'm kind of thinking I'm going to train in the US before um, the world champs, uh, maybe go to Flagstaff because um, I definitely really want to go there to train. So I think like this might be the right time to go. Um, but I just need to work out like final plans with my coach like next week. Uh, yeah, but I think probably June time, go over back to the US and then train for like four or five weeks before world champs and then yeah do the race and then come home after that and hopefully be home for extended period of time I know do you think you'd sync up with some Flagstaff athletes like American athletes when you're in town yeah definitely I've already spoken to like a couple of them um who are at Boston and um they were like telling me definitely when I'm over there that they would love to run with me so yeah I'm always up for going for runs with new people and Obviously, I don't know where I'm going at all in uh, mm-hmm. Flagstaff. <laughs> I kind of would love to have someone show me where to go. So I'm super curious, like uh, running in the UK, like how much do you follow American distance running and um, like how friendly are you with the American runners? Because the like marathon culture here, I feel like everybody's so close to each other and like knows each other super well. So what is that like for you? Yeah, I think... Um, we definitely do follow everything in America and obviously doing races in the U S um, helps me to get to know um, the runners. Like when I was at New York half, that was really cool to get to meet loads of loads of people. Like I called down with Sarah Hall and mm. with Steph and um, one of my training ex training partners, Andrea was there. She now runs for Bauman. Um, but there was all of us running together on a cool down and that was really cool. Um, so I think like doing races in America does help to yeah get to know each other. Um, but before this year, yeah, I, I would definitely keep up, up to date with everything that was going on in America. Um, because yeah, it's inspiring to see like all the performances, to be honest, because obviously you've got the African athletes that are always performing really well. And then to have the Americans like trying to race the Africans is definitely really inspiring. Um, I also got to meet up with um Sarah Hall when 
I was in Japan because um, so for the Nagoya Marathon, we had to quarantine for 10 days. And we went to this place, which was like a facility they'd set up for us. And we had to stay there for 10 days, but we could still train. Um, and Sarah was there because she was um, doing uh, Tokyo, but it was the week before Nagoya. So we actually crossed over for like five or six days. So it was cool to get to meet her there um, and chat to her a lot there as well. Oh, that's so fun. She's like just the nicest. Yeah, she's cool. So what marathon majors or big marathons do you want to do that you haven't done yet? Um, so I want to do like all six, definitely. Okay. So I got to do, yeah, like Tokyo, Chicago, Boston and New York. I was trying to, yeah, think about like if I could squeeze in another one this year, but I just don't know, like London Marathon's in October as well. So I'm kind of like, oh, <laughs> yeah, which ones do I do? And then, yeah, maybe I'll have to wait to next year to do another one in the US but um then I'm kind of like oh next year maybe I want to run Boston again now because <laughs> it was really fun did running the New York City half give you like excitement for doing the the full marathon someday yeah it definitely did although I found New York half like really hilly yeah <laughs> um that was a shock to me because in my mind I knew Boston was hilly and yeah. um obviously after New York the plan was to do more hill training so before New York half I hadn't done that much hill training I'd been doing like flat workouts and stuff so when I got to New York and found how hilly the race was it was kind of a shock to me like oh this is really hard um so I found that really tough so if I did New York marathon I would definitely attack it the way that I trained for Boston like a lot of hills and a lot of ups and downs and and stuff yeah I love it well it's been so fun to watch like you know, since London to Boston for you, it feels like as a fan, like a very redemptive, you know, <laughs> nine or 10 months for you. Thanks. I feel like um, it's going well. So I just want to, yeah, keep putting good performances out there and hopefully, um, yeah, just continue really. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Charlotte, I'm trying to think, you know, when we first talked, we, I always do my end of podcast questions, but when it's been long enough, since I last talked to the person, I think I bet they might have some different answers now. So I'll give you I probably some, would. I'll give you the, some of these questions again. Um, okay. What's something professionally or personally you haven't done that you'd like to do still? Oh, um, I want to run all the six marathon majors. <laughs> do you think that you'll run them all like still highly competitively or do you think you'll save any of them for like you know, like what Shalane just did. Well, maybe not run them all like that, but like <laughs> run them more for fun after you're, you've retired. Yeah, I said to uh, my partner, Adam, that I really want to run them all as a professional okay. athlete and then all again as a retired athlete where I could like wave to the crowd and stop and take the jelly beans from the side of the course and stuff like that. And so I can experience it from both sides. Um, so I think I want to do both like once as a pro and then once says, yeah, just a fun runner. Can you imagine running in a marathon, like just chilling? No. Like, I think I'd be shocked. Like, you know how um, professional athletes get dropped off at the start and we get to <laughs> we get ushered to the start and we get our own toilets and stuff. I think I'd be shocked at how I don't get dropped off at the start. <laughs> no one's there to take my clothes and I have to carry my own gels. I think I'd be like, what? This is <laughs> this is weird. But I honestly can't wait for that as well <laughs> you'd be one of the normals like the rest of yeah. us <laughs> that's good um do you read books what's the mo best most recent book you've read I do read books but honestly I haven't read anything in ages I've been really bad my new year's resolution was to read a book every month for this year and I haven't read any yet so you've been busy um, I did start um, Alistair Brownlee's book, um, so that was pretty cool, but I haven't finished it yet, so I need to get back onto that. Um, yeah. Whose book is it, and what what kind of book is it? Um, Alistair Brownlee, so he won, um, I think he's double gold for Great Britain in the okay. triathlon, men's triathlon. Yeah, so um, it's a pretty inspiring book. He just, he's interviewing, like, other athletes um, in the book, and yeah, it's, it's quite, it's a good read, actually. I can't remember what it's called, but um, if you just were to search for Alistair Brownlee, you'd probably find it. <laughs> What's your best advice to someone going to run Boston for the first time? <laughs> Definitely to do some hill training, um, but uphills and downhills as well, because obviously the downhills do trash your legs. Um, yeah, definitely to do put hills in your training. 
And, you know, the common theme I, I think of when I think of you and think of a lot of like resilience, you know, we talked about how you, you know, three missed Olympic teams, but you're focused on other things now. And like, that's not the end all be all. And I'm just curious, like now you're 30 now, you've been running competitively for so many years. Like, what is your message to someone who might kind of just be feeling like stuck or like, why is this happening again? You know? (laughs) Yeah, I would say to stick at stick at it but obviously follow your own plan because yeah like what someone else thinks might be good for you to do it might not be like what is actually good for you and you're the only one that knows like what kind of training works for you and what kind of things you need to do um and not to yeah get sidetracked by following like what someone else is doing because I think there's so many athletes out there and if for example on the start line of Boston we all did the same training like we're not all going to get the same result. Everyone does different training and that gets them their best results. So I've, I've worked out that I just need to do what, what I need to do. And um, yeah, to just follow that really and not to get sidetracked by like what other people are doing or yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> well, congratulations on a brand new PB in the fall in a stellar race in Boston. Thanks. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Hey friends, thanks for being here today. Thanks Charlotte for coming on the podcast. Appreciate our time together. Friends, you can uh, check out Inside Tracker and Viore, our sponsors for this episode. InsideTracker.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. And then Viore.com slash ANOTHER. When you go to that exact URL, it will give you a 20% off discount on your first purchase. Uh, All right, friends, Uh, you can follow Charlotte, which you totally should, on Instagram. She is Charlotte Purdue over there. You can find me personally, Lindsay Hine, 626. And you can find Sandy Boy Productions, which is this podcast network as well, Sandy Boy Productions. Learn more about the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. I am so grateful that you are here today and we will be back this Friday with another episode on the regular feed. I also have a podcast for parents that comes out every Tuesday called Why Is Everyone Yelling? Definitely go check that out if you're interested in that kind of show. We've got a great episode this week um, coming out tomorrow that I'm really excited about. It's on applied behavioral happiness. Uh, Talk to an expert on that and just very insightful. Uh, Have a great rest of your day and we will see you Friday. Thanks for being here.